Hi, so uh, welcome everyone. Today we have uh, Melissa with us from Jamaica. We've uh, done some work in the past and from her work I've uh, thought she'd make a great first guest for our podcast. So I'll let her, uh, I'll pass it over to her so she can do an intro on uh, who she is and uh, what her her past and experience has been in the in the industry. Thank you so much, Kenroy. It's uh, great to be here. And thanks also, Joanne. Um, I'm excited for this series. Um, and I'm, you know, grateful and humbled that you guys thought I would be the best first guest for this. Um, so a little bit about me. I uh, originally started my career doing architecture and construction management. Um, but as I was doing that, I did that in the space of, of an immigrant. Um, I'm originally from Jamaica, I was born and raised, and I moved to the States uh, legally to work and um, go to school. So uh, after my first degree in, in Jamaica, I landed a job in the United States and was able to work there for a while. Um, and this was before we had things like LinkedIn and Monster.com and these um, wonderful job databases nowadays. Uh, so I basically used um, I used AOL and Yahoo to do my searches and um, get to where I needed to be. Even though now we have so much more help in um, in the process and there are pieces all around the place to help you to get through the immigration process as a high skill labor, I've found that 20 years later, it's still a very, very difficult process. Uh, so a few years back, I decided to um, immerse myself more into technology and figure out how to solve that problem in terms of easily um, identifying talent um, that would like to move and easily identifying jobs that are open to foreign nationals across the globe. Um, during that process, it... Um, made me learn a whole lot more about technology and what the capabilities of technology are. You know, I used to, I used to dabble a little bit when I was in architecture and construction management in technology and using the latest technology and trying to, you know, make my life more efficient that way. But I had no idea what was really out there until I started on this path um, several, several, several to a few years ago. Um, so, Within that space, you know, I learned about various emerging technologies. I learned about how technology came about, um, the history of it, and, you know, what kinds of technologies can be used for different purposes. Um, and given the um, robustness of the immigration space, I was forced to learn a lot about um, things related to uh, document processing or... Um, or communication between two parties in different countries, um, or securely um, moving information from one point to another point, um, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, you end up into some serious, deep technology. Um, so that's that's kind of how my path on technology started. And then when I saw all the things that it could do, my natural instinct as a large-scale problem solver uh, kicked in and I just kept going. Uh, so that led me into digital identity, um, into blockchain, into emotional intelligence, um, and then even further down, but trying to get back 
into how how to make humans function well using the technology. Um, so given that, uh, I now have a startup that's geared towards um, human capital management and moving them from one place to another, whether it's a diaspora back home or um, someone wants, who wants to move from, from one country to the next um, as an immigrant. Um, and I have a technology consulting company called Block & Ledger. And uh, I also have a podcast called Invest Human in which we discuss how to help humans to be more human now that we have all this technology to help us get through the day. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, that's <Wow>. amazing. Um, <laughs> seems like we share a bit, you know, coming from the Caribbean, moving to the U.S., and just seeing the, the differences uh, between technology in the two regions and how we can offer um, some of that back home. Um, yeah, it's you amazing. Well, you yeah, you mentioned the consulting. Like, give us a little bit more on, on your experience with that and sort of working with um, governments and other organizations to help increase their understanding of what technology can do for them. So from my experience, what I realize is that a lot of, um, there are a lot of problems to be solved. And there are a lot of people who really want to solve these problems, but they just don't know how or what's out there. So that's where I come in and I try to, um, you know, get a feel of what it is that they're trying to solve and then help them to go through all the different kinds of technology that can help them to solve the problem or even find them the actual technology or the people who can build the technology for them. Um, what I find as well is that a lot of the institutions, um, they get very hyped up on buzzwords. So for instance, now that we're in this whole blockchain phase, they think that blockchain can solve everything. So everybody wants to jump on, on um, jump on the cause of trying to get their institution to work on projects that solve blockchain, solve problems using blockchain technology. But sometimes it's a great technology. I love it. I think it can do wonders for this world but it's not always the, the right thing to use, you know? You still have the problem to solve, so what is it that you need to use? So that's the kind of thing that I find, but once, once you kind of break down those barriers and explain to them, you know, about um, the different te technologies and, um, you know, bring it back down to, to just a basic understanding, it's easier to maneuver. And then also in working with um, government and, and institutions, it's not, um, not overthinking and not thinking that because people work in a specific industry or, or have a specific uh, position or title means that they know everything. They're always open to learn more. And if you're willing to share and if they're willing to share with you, then you both can collaborate better and uh, do a better job at solving the problems. has been my experience. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Joanne, I mean, what has, you know, being in China now, you have you have sort of a front row seat of what's going on on the technology side. How do you think that relates a bit to what Melissa's working on or has worked on in the past and any sort of uh, light you can shed on, you know, what can be done in the region or what can help? Oh boy, how much time do we have? 
because China China is in a whole other world compared to the US and much less the Caribbean. China is um China is the leader in everything, artificial intelligence, fintech. I mean, China's already working on 6G. So um they're just miles ahead of everybody. Um but I think Absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's what can't the rest of the world, what can't the Caribbean learn from China? What I do, what I do find interesting about China and technology is that uh, the Chinese things change very quickly here. Firstly, and secondly, Chinese people are highly adaptable, so the they're not resistant to change when it comes to technology. Things happen, things move quickly, things are put into place. You know, one day you're using a, this particular app, the next day you're using something else. Like, um, people don't seem particularly concerned about issues related to data the way they are, say, in the European Union, in the United States. I mean, we don't use cash over here. It's all paperless. Um, everything is on my phone. If I lose my phone, I lose my life, essentially. So, because I just scan everything on my phone. So I guess in some of the parts of the world that would be seen, that would be deemed scary or that would be seen as scary. Whereas here, it's just kind of the way it is. So I think um, one of the reasons why China is so advanced is because their people are just always, things are always changing and people here are willing to embrace and accept change. And I'm not quite sure if the Caribbean is like that if we're talking specifically about the Caribbean. So we are <laughs> definitely not like that. That is a huge problem. I mean, even with the Jamaican government trying to put in this uh, NIDS system, um, which is the National Identification System, just mm. the mere fact that they said it was digital, uh, people got kind of in a frenzy. Um, but I think a part of it is also, you know, how do you approach people with um, the with the solutions that you have, you know, so don't approach it and say, you know, you have to do this and um, you have to do it because we say so, you know, why do we have to do it? You know, why is it, why is it beneficial to, to people if we do this, do this stuff, you know, explain it in a way that they, they get it. Um, I think another thing is that, you know, in terms of China, they're more used to, you know, this is just the way it is. You got to do it. And we're yes. going to move forward. Everything that we're doing is for your best interest. Yes. Um, in in the Caribbean, everybody is kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if this is what you. I mean, are you just trying to spy on me? You know, people have this crazy, ridiculous fear of, of everybody trying to spy on them and take things from them. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of um, having that conversation that brings it back down to earth and to say we you know how how can this help you as an individual and then help us as a as a as a country as a nation and then as a region um i think that's the biggest issue in terms of getting people to adapt to these kinds of big tech apart from that you know it's that you you kind of just put it in place and don't tell them exactly what it is and have them use it first <laughs> Yeah, I, you and then it works. <laughs> that's a really good point you made because I know there are people who probably just heard me say that and they said, oh, well, that's China. That's a completely different system. That's a completely different society. But putting China aside, Japan is advanced. South Korea is advanced. Um, Singapore is advanced. I think Asian societies, when it, well, Far East Asian societies, um, when it comes to tech, they're all quite advanced. 
But I think also culturally, um, they're, without making gross generalizations, I think because of like filial piety and other aspects of East Far East Asian cultures, people are willing to uh, accept that, okay, this is good for us and this is our community and we're going to do this because it's going to move us forward. I think it's just a different mindset, you know? Um, so it's easier to, and that's really like the Far East societies, like the Confucian-based societies. I mean, obviously it's not like this in South Asia and <laughs> other parts of Asia. <laughs> whereas, whereas in the Caribbean, that culture and that mindset isn't really there. So if, like you said, if you tell somebody in the Caribbean, oh, we're going to do this because it's good and it's right and it's going to move us forward, there's going to be a lo loads of people that are going to question that. Well, who says that? And exactly. that, that... I'm not saying that doesn't happen here, but people are more willing to accept, okay, our leader is telling us that this is good, it's right, and we believe him or her, and we're going to move forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah, a I mean, it's, it's interesting that you both say that, because when it comes to digital transformation, there's, there's sort of a saying, I'm not, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, where change is hard, but technology, technological change is even harder. Uh, so with both like the cultural pieces, in many ways, I see it that uh, in Asian culture and the Caribbean, they share a lot in common in that they respect elders and, and um, what comes from the, you know, what comes from the top. But then there is uh, the fight against technology, which, you know, I'm also trying to wrap my mind around like what is it what is a where, where does the hesitation come from when it comes to technology because everybody would like to improve their situation but then there is always that suspicion that something else is behind it um do you guys have any sort of uh, explanation you might might have you know came upon during your time working with that i do but it has nothing to do with the caribbean i per se i think that the Caribbean, for good or for bad, because of our proximity to the United States, our much of the American narrative is pushed and foisted on the Caribbean region. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people imbibe that. And I think because so much of the American culture is around like, okay, we have to protect ourselves. Tech is going to come and take over. I mean, yes, you have Silicon Valley in the US that pushes technology, I get that. But I think there's also a big part of American society that's very hesitant and, you know, it's it's always like challenging and pushing back on these things. And I think a lot of that has seeped into the Caribbean. That's, that's my, that's one view that I have. I think you're absolutely right with that. And then coupled that, coupling that with the fact that we are very superstitious people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> just um, any little thing that seems outside of the norm and seems to be kind of um, magical. Because <laughs> sometimes technology can seem magical. Um, if you don't know exactly how it works, right? Because you just see this thing happening, like all of a sudden, um, I can have my phone and I'm and I'm typing things into the phone, and then all of a sudden, they're sending me um, they're sending me ads of what I what it is that I need. Mm. A lot of people don't understand how that happens, <laughs> and it's just it, that it it's just really algorithms, and they don't even understand what an algorithm means. So for them, that's it's crazy, and it's like. 
it's basically um what some people would say babylon is trying to take over you know <laughs> absolutely absolutely so it's trying to it's trying to um get people out of that narrative and show them how it really can help them to um help us and not, i'm not even saying them i should say us help us because i'm in the caribbean now i've moved back to jamaica how it can help us to move forward and actually propel all of what we have in the Caribbean across the world. I mean, if it's something that we have in the Caribbean, it's great talent, it's great, um, great foresight um, for certain things. And if we are just able to hone in on that, I mean, I, I, I spoke at a conference recently and it was around energy. And one of the things I, I said, you know, is that we have to start thinking about how we deal with people. So in Jamaica, we have this huge problem where um, people are stealing light, electricity. Mm. What we don't realize is that if someone is able to steal electricity, they are capable of thinking above the average person. Mm. So how do we take that person and turn it around uh, in that space. So do we, can we, can we give them a solar panel and teach them how to give everybody else in the community light from that solar panel, you know, something, I mean, clearly it's not going to be as easy as that, but how can we start thinking in that direction where we're actually thinking to help people to help themselves become okay, better? So you're, you're sort of saying, how do we look at what some would look, you know, see as delinquent behavior as opposed to them being entrepreneurial. Is that what you're... Yes, okay. uh, kind of in some cases. I mean, some cases they're just really delinquent, but but the thought process that goes into that delinquency is... is I mean, is, yeah, is a great in many... <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, in many ways, I think in order to be a criminal or an entrepreneur, you have to think outside of the box. It's a fine line sometimes, but they, they share a lot in common. And it comes down to like <clears throat> the question of like, how do I survive? What can I do? Um, and they both share that in common. Um, some of them might skirt the law, um, but there are lots that can, you know, they skirt the law, but then realize, oh, maybe that's what we should be doing and sort of move towards that. I mean, even in China, there are certain behaviors that the government might, might, might you know, partake of that everyone else might be like, well, that's illegal or, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a cultural thing where from the outside, you don't understand it as much, but it works for them. Right. Exactly. And I know this is a, we're supposed to be getting deep into the technology thing, but I think this is something that we have to really look at in terms of helping people to adapt to technology. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, the, the technology well, I guess I can say technology has a human problem in many yes. ways. Like, how do we sort of, how do we make, um, how do we make technology adopt to people as opposed to the other way around? And that's one of the underlying things about digital transformation that we need to figure out. Um, you know, like, really think about it. Do we just wholesale take technology and just foist it on people? Or we look to see what they require and then build a technology technology to meet those needs and it's something that in the region we need to sort of spend a little bit more time uh looking at 
uh, and understanding it and then sort of yeah. nitpicking what we need for ourselves within the region. One thing I can say about the um, a use case like blockchain technology is that I do see where there is more focus on how do we help people as a whole and how do we come together um, to do that using the technology, which I, which I didn't really see per se with other kinds of technology. So that's, that's one of the great things about um, the blockchain technology is it's, uh, it's kind of like a communal um, solving of problems. In some cases, and I and I find um, there is more people coming together because it's such a, a such a mammoth of a thing. There's more people coming together to try and solve problems using that technology for the people rather than for themselves. Mm. Interesting. I think what Kenroy just said was was um, was an was an interesting point. Um, different countries use technology in different ways. So there are some countries that would use, like, for example, you use China as the case and you said, well, that, you know, the Chinese do whatever, whatever, and some people see that as illegal. But that's a different perspective. It works here, it happens here, and it's fine here. Whereas maybe in the European Union, where there's a lot of heavy regulation, then that would be seen as, like you said, illegal or different. But every every country uses technology in their own way, and it has to suit their own people. I mean, China has one point what two billion people. We're, the only other country that can be compared to China is India. So I think these are special cases, you know. So absolutely, they're absolutely. always going. They're always going to use technology in a way that other countries, societies would never understand. Exactly, and then. Something like, for instance, um, with, the Ch with the Chinese, it's one government versus with the European, it's several governments coming together. So it's how do you get all of those um, governments to be in line to use something per se, like a WeChat. I mean, WeChat is, is like totally, a lot of people don't even know this, but it blows like Facebook and all of these things out of the, out of the park with yeah. what they're doing. But it couldn't necessarily work in... Um, work that way in a European Union or a CARICOM because now we have to, to navigate various um, laws for the various governments, if you understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying. And data and privacy exactly. and all of this other stuff. And it's easier to get things done when you've got one government. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's exactly. Just, it's just the way it is. And I mean, WeChat, WeChat is so advanced, you know, when, oh, you know, like when my students and I, we, we, my lesson last week was on technology, technology advancing business. And, you know, they travel, obviously these kids, I mean, I teach the, well, the kids of the wealthy. Okay. So they travel, they, they know the world. But when, when I explain to them that there's no WeChat in the Western world, they're sort of like, oh, what do they do over there? Like, wow, no WeChat. How do they pay for things? In their mind, they're just shocked to know that like Europe and the United States, these rich countries, they use cash for everything. And, you know, they, it's just, they, it, they can't wrap their minds around it. Yeah, so I yeah. I can't I can't wrap my mind around it either. I mean, I think when I think about the things that WeChat can do and how much similar it could make life for everybody, 
I just, I'm excited about it, but a lot of people on this side of the world are like, mm, um, that's too much of an invasion of my privacy. <laughs> kind of. And that's exactly the conversation I had with them. And they were like, but what do they mean? Privacy, it's not a big deal. It makes life easy. You know, you can do this. And I said, but other people don't see it that way. So it's it's all perspectives. And that's going back to the point Kenroy made, like, how can you use technology to transform your society? But first, you have to be willing to embrace it and 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 know what it does you know yeah yeah and you know being being a developer and you know most of the time i spend it you know deep in the technology and then you're like oh everyone should be using this this is amazing and it's just on the point where melissa said like we're blockchain now everyone sort of caught up with the with the hype a little bit um but in many ways um i spend also a lot of time thinking like is it that it's too complex for people to get because at the same time you can have a scammer come in and they can utilize the same thing that says, okay, I don't really get this technology, but it sounds amazing and they still get people to buy into it. So what is it between, you know, a scammer getting someone to believe in something they don't understand and a business person with a good technology solution trying to do the same thing that puts up that resistance. I mean, you know, a lot of people will sort of say, well, you have to get that emotional side to it. Is it that the technology company isn't really focused on the emotional side of like how this can affect you um, personally and do they need to improve on that? Or is it something else that they, uh, they need to take into consideration? I think it is a bit of that um, and to kind of go a bit go further is to say um, those kind of scammers their purpose is to get into the minds of the person that they're trying to scam right um, a person who is solving a problem using technology their purpose is to solve a problem using technology so they're not considering that they need to get into the minds of who they're trying to sell this or get um, funding from to solve this problem. So and there's a lot we that's... can learn from scammers then, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yes, I mean, you can learn um, in terms of getting into the mind of, you know, doing that due diligence in, in terms of figuring out what it is that makes that person um, want to solve the problem the way you want to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, because I guess, you know, when it comes to the Caribbean, there needs to be a lot more education around it and a little bit more pressure out like of China and, you know, getting people to buy into this, whether it's um, just fully pushing your authority or turning it into a cult where people start just believing in in the wisdom of the the, the, the powers that be. Um, it's a fine line, but in many ways, there's, there's something that we can learn from from that. Um, and that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking. Is it that we, you know, as technologists, we're too caught up in it and we forget the fact that we need to make, we, we forget the human side. Like, like we forget that we need to speak to humans 
get down to their level. Um, and Apple does a great job at this. And when it comes to sales and marketing, they do not speak of technology or like how this works. They relate to you in a sense that this is how the technology will affect your life. So instead of saying um, this iPod can hold, you know, this much terabytes of data, they're saying, okay, this can hold a thousand songs or so on. That's a famous example that they use. Um, so I guess technology can learn from that when it comes to the region. Um, in order to help get around the uh, the, the resistance, um, absolutely. And I, is that something that that China does? I mean, how do they how do they sort of sell that? Is it propaganda machine? You know, don't don't take it as like it's negative. I mean, propaganda can have its good, you know, its place as well. But how do they sort of go about selling new technology there, Joanne? Um, I was bef before getting to that question, I was going to say, I think there's two things um, referring to the question that you had before. I think there's digital digital literacy is a problem. People just aren't literate about what the technology can do for them. And the second part, I think, is trust. I think people don't trust in the Caribbean. People don't trust their governments. So therefore, they don't embrace whatever it is that their governments are telling them they should embrace. Because, and then I was going to draw it to China. For example, here in China, as you guys know, in the past 40 years, they've raised some 800 million people out of poverty, okay? A big, that's unprecedented in modern history in any other country. If you look at a company like Alibaba, Alibaba created Taobao villages, and Taobao villages essentially empowered rural people using technology. So it's not about propaganda machines or anything like that. It's just showing people how technology can practically lift them out of poverty. You know, like where I live, there's a lot, like everywhere I go to in China, you see a lot of like just average people selling things. They all have WeChat. They all have Alipay. They all know how to use the technology. You know, like the chap on the street who's selling juice has his WeChat scan card, you know, and these are just everyday people. So I think it's probably that they have they have enabled their own people to know how to use the technology and they've shown them that this can actually empower you, this can actually help you. So I think that that's a part of it. When you see that it's benefiting your life, you embrace it more and that that's what's been happening. So all of this technology that's here, it's not just here because people like it, it's here because it's making life better for everybody. And I think 100% on the money with that. Yeah. And I think Caribbean governments don't do that. You know, they're not, I don't live in the Caribbean any, anymore. So, I mean, if some, if somebody else listening to this wants to challenge this, that's fine. Like you yourself, Melissa, you live there now. So you know more than I do, but I think Caribbean governments don't do a good job at empowering their own people by showing them how they can use tools to better themselves. And, and there's a huge distrust so people, people are just kind of like, oh, yeah, what's that about? And, you know, because we all know in the, in the Caribbean, like when it comes near to election, everybody's going to say what they're going to do. Everybody talks about what they're going to do. And then election happens, people vote and then nothing changes. So there's this cycle of nothing changes. So people don't trust their leaders, whereas here things happen and it benefits people. So there's like real, like actual benefit to what is happening. It's not just talk. 
Uh, you're you're right <laughs> for sure on that. And I um, I would say I would add to that in terms of um, the government not investing in certain things. It is that they themselves sometimes, most times, don't understand the capability of that. Um, there are some cases where it is that, you know, there is corruption and, you know, you try to get your friend to get the job, even though they, they're not giving the best system, which, which turns out badly for everybody in the long run. Um, but there, there are genuine cases where people in these positions just, genu- just don't understand how it works and how it could help. Um, so that's also one of the things that I try to do is if I have conversations with any of these kinds of people is to kind of um, help them to process the magnitude of what technology can do for the people. Um, and then I do the same when I'm talking to, the, to the, the man on the street who doesn't know anything about technology. And, I, and I'd be like, you know, you, ha- you now have access to phones. Everybody has one good thing that has come out of telecommunications is that everybody has a phone or two here um and you know a lot of people are on facebook now and but it's not utilized the way that you would utilize a wechat you know it's more on a superficial level or just kind of peering into other people's business and not understanding the magnitude of a, of a linkedin or 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 a facebook in terms of connecting people to do good things for each other um, so you are 100% uh, correct in terms of the digital liter- literacy and how um, how our governments are um, working around or, or not working around uh, moving the technology forward. So now there is in Jamaica, we are trying with some things. So you have the Jamaica Stock Exchange trying to get their systems on um, creating a, a, a digital coin. Um, you have, uh, our prime minister now is, is, is doing a whole lot in terms of, um, energy, the energy sector. And, you know, they just put in, uh, I don't remember what the value, but it's a, it's a large value, um, of, uh, solar panels to kind of get us up to, to par with using, um, solar energy over the, um, over the traditional uh, methods. So, you know, we are moving forward, but then it's to get the right people in. I mean, that solar project would not have happened without um, a young lady by the name of Angela Rainford, who is from a place that um, she thinks ahead of things. So even beyond putting in the solar panels, she has now thought about how to utilize the, the, um, the land under the panels so that it's not just bare barren land sitting there um you know so it's it's gonna take some time um and it's gonna take some time for us to get out of that crab in a barrel mentality that we have a lot in that's very prevalent in um the caribbean um but once we are able to get to the people um i think that mentality will be will be diminished as as we progress with the technology and it's one of the things too that i try to explain is that you know somebody will come to me and say oh, what's blockchain and i'll and i'll try and break it down as um 
basic as possible and then I will say but don't worry about that because that's not what your concern will be it will be just like internet protocols you have no idea how they work but you use it anyway right so um so it's not to say don't go and learn about it but if I if I know that they're not trying to learn how to build something technology I will I will just more try to get them to understand it's not something to be afraid of and it's something that you'll eventually probably use in your everyday life and it will help you just like the internet has helped you to connect to people around the world and information around the world. So I'm not okay. sure I kind of added and kind of made sense there. <laughs> no, that, 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 made, that made perfect sense. So I guess, um, I mean, we've said a, we've said a bit and, um, and they're, all, they're all amazing points. So I guess um, as we yeah, sort of come to the end, like, what are some suggestions that you would make uh, from this conversation or from your learnings as well that we can focus on in order to increase the amount of technology and sort of show the benefits uh, that it can bring to our lives, whether that's, you know, policy, business, or so on? So it's um, one, the main thing, as uh, Joanne mentioned, was digital literacy and helping people to understand, right? I think that's a major hump that we have to get over. And then it is, um, I think once, once people understand at all levels, you'll have less of people trying to um, put in place things that are not um, the best solution. Um, or rushing into doing things because they because it's hyped up, um, but actually sitting and figuring out how to really solve solve the real problem as it relates to the people of the nations um, and how that affects everyone else around around you and in the region. Um, education is key where that's concerned, um, and helping people to also understand how um, how what they do affects other people is is big as well. I mean I, I went to I went to a small key off the coast of Jamaica once and I had to spend half of the time taking up plastics off of the beach. Um, mm. And when I looked at all of the plastic, none of it was from Jamaica. It was from Haiti, it was from Dominican Republic, it was from Cuba, it was from everywhere else except for <laughs> Jamaica. Right. So but people don't realize that that it really does affect even though we're not on the same piece of land, you know? So having those conversations and making those conversations at the forefront and, on, and helping people to understand that if we all win, we all win. I say that all the time. It's not a difficult thing to understand. If we all win, we all win. We will eventually get out of that crab in a bar mentality and realize that we just need to keep helping each other um, and solving problems that way solving problems that we're not helping just ourselves but e but each other so moving a little bit more back into the technology side um, I agree with you that a lot of the policies need to change um, you know especially again going back to the NIDS situation where a part of the reason why it ended up not being passed in parliament is because it it um, did not um, there's a privacy law that we had that it would have broken that law. But that law was made before digital, there was a digital age, <laughs> you know? So we do have to go back and look into these things. How, how can we be using laws that were not made for this, for, 
for what's coming ahead. You know, we can't be using laws that were made in in the 1800s to um, to help us to regulate our systems now, given all that has happened in the last 20 years. Um, so, uh, that being said, it's you know focus on educating the people properly, um, yourselves and everyone around you, and then trying to understand um, the real solution, technical solutions to the problems that we have, identifying the problems that are, um, that are more important to solve upfront and going in and solving in that direction. I think that's, that's what I have to say. It's uh, not highly technical, but I think that's what we need to enable to push our digital transformation. You want me to add to that, Kenroy? Helen? Yeah. I wonder. We'll ask okay. Kenroy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. So there we have it, folks. I mean, you can go ahead and add to it, Joanne. No, I wasn't sure because you were really quiet. So I wasn't sure if you would be. <laughs> um, no, I was just, I think everything that Melissa says was spot on. Um, I would only stress that I think there needs to be a cultural change. Um, because I feel like there's a part of me that feels like no matter how much you try to educate people, no matter how much you have the infrastructure, i.e. government and policies and whatnot, if the mindset, if the, if the overall, like the overarching culture isn't right, nothing is going to sort of permeate, you know, I think, um, there needs to be a defined set of like values around technology and behaviors need to reflect that so that people really, really move forward with using it. Thank you for clarifying that because when I say education, I don't mean sitting in a classroom. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Definitely yeah, is about definitely. changing the culture. <laughs> yeah, because I just, I feel like we, in the Caribbean, education is stressed so much and it's such a big deal. And yes, it's extremely important. But I feel like no matter how much you educate someone, if they don't want to embrace the change, they just won't. They just won't. And they're so, because the region, the populations are so small. Like my Chinese friends are always like, Caribbean is so small and so many problems. I'm like, tell me about it, you know? <laughs> They don't understand because they're like, and I and I get it. You know, it's like it's such a small region. They in their minds they think, oh, it's easy, easier to you know do things, small population. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's exact opposite. So I think there's some kind of cultural shift that has to happen, but it takes time to change culture, right? So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, oh. but then you know, absolutely um, embrace learning about it this is, is one of the ways ways to move forward excellent ladies so, I mean, we, <laughs> those are those are definitely some great points and i mean you know if i have to add one thing uh one you know we really need to work on information sharing in the region and it's one of those things that can help overcome our mistrust mm. uh, because we usually hear about things much later than or too late in order to really make a decision um, ourselves or, you know, get all the information ourselves and sort of come to our own conclusions. Um, so if we were to make 
or just be a little bit more open about information, then it might be one of those things that can help. But, you know, it, we, we'll have to wait and see on that one. So I, I want to add to that too, um, Kenroy. Sorry, again, I'm going off. But um, as you said, that it just triggered this thing where I would love to implore all government agencies to digitize their research and their information as soon as possible, especially with the climate change that we have going on. You will get into the, the situation where there's a hurricane and you lose all of that information because it's not digitized and we can't share that information unless it is digitized. So please, please, please make it a priority to digitize all the research that has been done within your different agencies and not have them sitting on the shelves in a file somewhere where no one can access them. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. In, you know what I think is interesting? We're three Caribbean people in three different locations. So we're definitely living the digital transformation. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 enjoying, we're enjoying parts of it for sure. And, um, you know, we're, we're able to have this, this conversation and, you know, share information um, wherever we are. And it's, it's, it's up to us, I guess, to get others to, to see that. And I tell everyone, you know, you have a smartphone, the world's information is at your fingertips. Any question you have, you can answer it in no time. Absolutely no time. Um, and it usually comes down to that cultural thing. I was like, oh, you know, I'm from the ghetto or I, I can't get out because, you know, it, it's, it is a mindset thing. So... We have all the information there. We, in many ways, we know what we have to do, but mm. we just have to sort of do it. Take that step, whether we fail or not, and just try it. And, you know, once we get over that minor hump, we'll just realize it's really not as bad as we see it. Um, and then we can all just benefit from the technology, the information that's out there, and, you know, we can sort of become part of this global family that we so we we so we talk about so much. So uh, hopefully, you know, we can get there at some point in the region, and where we'll we will sort of help get us, you know, get everyone to that point. So again, Melissa, thank you for uh, for the time and uh, for sharing your knowledge and your experience, and um, you know. We hope to hear a lot more of uh, other people doing great things in the region. Thank Joanne? You. Yeah, Melissa, you're fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it was great to listen to you, you and too. to um, yeah, great to listen to you and to hear to hear your views. And I'm going to encourage everyone to read your blog. You've got a really interesting blog, right, on global talent, culture, and immigration. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I haven't written much on it lately, but the, the articles that are on, are on there should definitely be read. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. It's really interesting. So um, encourage you. everyone to, to check it out and to to visit your website. But I'll put all of that in the show notes. So that's that's fine. It was awesome. really nice to speak with you. You too. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Bye for now. Bye bye. <laughs>